Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. I know you're uh, clapping because you have tomorrow off. <laughs> but uh, thank you for sharing your 4th of July weekend with us. We appreciate it. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and uh, they won't make sense right now, but hopefully in a few minutes they'll make more sense. Fair enough? First question, what are the locusts in your life? What are the locusts in your life? Number two, what have they eaten? What are the locusts in your life and what have they eaten? Pretty important questions. So we left Hosea last week, and Hosea prophesied at the time just before the fall of the northern kingdom. That's about 722, 726 B.C. And that story of Hosea taking Gomer as his wife and uh, the shame in the front window and all of the things that go on in that cycle of poetry where we have this process of restoration. And we're going to work on blowing that timeline up for you. I, I have a feeling that most of you can't see that. Is, that. is that fair? Yeah, you're all wanting to, you know. So we're thinking a little bit about that season of what is going on in Israel. So the northern kingdom falls to Assyria. And now the Assyrians march on the southern kingdom, and they lay siege to Jerusalem. And, and it's a devastating time. Hezekiah is the king of the southern kingdom, and he has fortified the city of Jerusalem. And he built a tunnel that brought the spring, which was outside the city, through a tunnel into the center of the city. By the way, if you go to Israel today and you're willing to put on waders, you can walk Hezekiah's tunnel from the spring to the Pool of Siloam, to the place where it empties into the inner city. We believe that the 46th Psalm is the dedication psalm of that tunnel. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be removed. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. He will help her at break of day. And we believe that's the dedication uh, hymn of Hezekiah. In that, and then we hear the story. Uh, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, don't worry. It's going to be okay. And sure enough, uh, we're told that the next morning they get up and some kind of plague has hit the Assyrian army and they've been devastated. They've become known historically as the corpse army. Uh, and what was left, the remnants of the army, marched away and the southern kingdom was preserved. And now in the world, we have this sort of thing going on. We have this world power, sort of the, 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 the transition time. The Assyrian empire is starting to weaken the Egyptian empire is still very strong, and the Babylonian empire is just beginning to rise. And so for the next 150 years, you get that in your brain, we're not really sure who's in control. So much so that the southern kingdom enjoys a time of relative independence. But as we get a little closer to the end of that time, now there's this big process of battle and war. 
And it's the Assyrians who are in a very weakened state and the Egyptians who have started to come to power and the Egyptians join forces with the Assyrians because Babylon is rising rapidly. Now, Israel in the meantime, the southern kingdom, in their independence, they're making alliances and they're trying to guess who's going to finally rise to power. So sometimes they have an alliance with the Egyptians and sometimes they have an alliance with the Babylonians. But they typically guessed wrong a lot. And at some point, right around the time of, you know, 605 B.C. or so, the Egyptians march north and they join the Assyrian army and they're going to attack Babylon. And so Israel decides to be loyal to the Egyptians. And then at the Battle of Carchemish, the Babylonians destroy the Assyrian army and the Egyptian army. And now Israel has alliance with the Egyptians and the Babylonians won the battle. And so in 597, the Babylonians march on the southern kingdom. The kingdom falls in two stages. They are conquered in 597, and then a bunch of exiles are carried off. In fact, we really believe it's this first phase in which Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they all go to live in Babylon. All of those stories, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery firmaments, all around Nebuchadnezzar II, who has created this space. He puts a vassal king in place. His name is Zedekiah. And for the next, you know, 20 years or so, he, he sort of pays tribute. And then Nebuchadnezzar marches on Egypt. He decides not only has he defeated, but now he's going to go conquer Egypt. And he goes and he miscalculates. In fact, he loses badly that war uh, against the Egyptians. And Zedekiah says, I'm just going to quit paying tribute. <laughs> well, sadly, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are still the most powerful kingdom on earth. And so they march again on Babylon, or on uh, Jerusalem and on the city. And finally, in 586 B.C., the city is conquered and it is utterly destroyed. The entire city, the temple, everything is destroyed. And now we live the period of the exile. Just 50 years later, the Persian Empire will conquer the Babylonians. You may... By the way, I see so many of you taking notes. <laughs> you may remember, you may remember that, you know, it's Darius is the first emperor of the Persian Empire. Daniel has interaction with that. And then the next emperor is called Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes has a cupbearer. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Nehemiah. He was cupbearer to the king. And it's Nehemiah and Ezra in this period that go back to Jerusalem. And why am I telling you all of this? Because it is in this time that Joel does his work. As Nehemiah and Ezra rebuild the city, Joel begins to prophesy. And this is what he has to say. Now, I'm going to simplify this for you because Joel writes stylistically, as the minor prophets seem to do, a lot of poetry. But these are the three themes that will emerge in a cycle that he wants his people to know. Number one, the locusts have eaten a lot. He goes back and he acknowledges the exodus, the plague, the actual moment in which locusts came and they ate everything. And, and you remember the story from Exodus, how whatever the first locusts didn't get, the next ones got, and whatever the old ones didn't eat, the young ones ate. It is a, a description of utter destruction. And he takes that image and he says, what were literal locusts in the exodus have become metaphorical locusts in our time. And he says, the locusts have eaten everything. 
They've eaten the fruit and they've eaten the vines and they've eaten our sense of well-being and they've eaten our faith. They have eaten everything. My question this morning is, what are the locusts? Once, once Joel gives us metaphorical locusts, man, we can just go, hey, there's some locusts in my life that have been eating stuff. What are the locusts in your life? And what have they eaten? I mean, we can name a bunch of stuff. The pandemic is a fairly large locust in our life. It's eaten a lot. Of course, to a culture that has some kind of cohesiveness, some kind of optimism, some kind of sense of leadership. I mean, we can go through all kinds of hardship and difficulty. So maybe politics are the locusts that have been eaten away at our sense of well-being. Amen? Maybe it's just cultural wars. So we've gotten good at that. Maybe it's the news. I don't know about you, but I can be far, I can have far better mental health by not watching the news. In fact, sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and I'll say, You've been watching the news, haven't you? <laughs> you might want to stop. That locust is eating everything inside of you, eating your brain, in fact. Amen? Amen. And that's not one side or the other, so that's everybody's getting their brain eaten. Social media, that's healthy. Not many locusts on social media. They're, they're not eating much. What are the locusts in your life, and what have they eaten? Joel speaks it this way in chapter 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have eaten, other locusts have eaten. <laughs> he, kind of, he kind of fell out of the poetry there at the end, but you know. You got the point, didn't you? So here's some unique things about Joel. Joel is one of the few prophets we have who doesn't date himself. He doesn't associate himself with any king. How do we know he was a contemporary of Nehemiah and Ezra? Just by internal evidence, things he talks about. They're happening to Nehemiah and Ezra, so therefore we're like, oh, he's in the time of Nehemiah. But he doesn't date himself. That's odd. Everybody else says... When this king was ruling, the word of God came to me, and I said... Second thing that's fascinating about him is he connects himself to no particular sin. He doesn't name any sort of particular thing that Israel is doing wrong. Now, one of the qualities uh, about, uh, about Joel is the fact that he is so deeply familiar with the Scripture. He quotes frequently writers before him. He... he we kind of figure that he, he's leaning on those writers to go, you guys know what the prophets have written. You all know what the sins are. If you don't, just reference the other prophets. I don't need to name specific names. So he doesn't have a date, and he doesn't have a specific sin, and he, he ingratiates himself. He deepens himself in the richness of the history of the scriptural writings. Scholars, as they look about this uniqueness about Joel, they say, you know, maybe what's going on is that Joel is writing for us a lesson that belongs to me and it belongs to you and it belongs to the people of his day. 
but it is written in such a way so that it's completely scalable to be where we are. Any of this sound familiar? A country, a people who are devastated, where they feel like everything has been eaten up, where they look around them and, and where they once saw richness and vividness and optimism and joy, they see fear and doubt. And it's not just literal things that have been eaten. It, 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 it's also our sense of peace. It's also our sense of optimism. It's also our sense of faith. We all feel it. I had a traumatic experience last night. I had to go to the gas station to fill up my car. Because <laughs> inflation is one of the locusts, isn't it? And I, and I got up to the pump and it didn't work. It's like you got to come inside and you got to pay inside because the keypad's not working. Well, you all know what happens when you go inside. They ask you a question. How much money do you want to put in your vehicle? So I'm calculating in real time how much gas is in my car and how much gas it will take to get me from where I am to where I need to be. And I just got sad. <laughs> Amen? I'm going to throw out a number. It's a number I never thought I'd speak. Thankfully, I have a little less than half a tank. Oh, it's traumatic, isn't it? There's all kinds of things going on. And he writes in such a way that he says, listen, the locusts come to people. They come to people in all kinds of settings, in all kinds of places, in all kinds of ways. And we don't think of it this way, but we ought to somehow recognize and be able to talk about what the locusts are that are eating away at all the good stuff in our life. We ought to name them. We ought to be able to talk. Some of us have locusts that have to do with relationships. Some of us have locusts that have to do with physical stuff. But we've got some locusts eating away at our sense of well-being. So then he says, Here, well, here's what, maybe as the locusts are eating away, here's an idea. Change. Do something different. Do something different. I don't know about you, but this is what I think. If the locusts would just get straightened out, then I could be okay. <laughs> I mean, if, if the people in Washington figured it out, I'd feel better. I mean, if the cultural wars were to cease, if, if inflation were to get under control, if, 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 and Joel says, listen, this is not about the locusts. People live through hard times all the time. This is about what's happening in us. Change. Do something different. The definition of insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results. I'm still depressed. I'm still sad. I'm still overwhelmed. The locusts are still eating. Maybe somewhere in there, there's a lesson that says, I I'm going to change. When's the last time you can look at your journey and go, I really changed something. I, I used to do that, but now I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Again, he didn't name specific sins, but you know, you and I know there's some things we're doing that aren't good for us. We ought to stop. Okay, I'm doing some things that aren't good for me. And we ought to stop. And Joel says, I don't want you to just act like you're repenting. I want you to actually repent. 
I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just say the words. I want you to turn around, repent. I want you to turn around. I want you to go in a different direction. I'm not saying that that ends the locust. The locust may still be eating, but it's not about the locust. It's about what's going on inside of us. What's happening inside our hearts and inside our minds. He says it this way. Chapter 2, verse 12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and he's compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Change. Change. Do something different. Change the routine, change the habit. We don't just need to sit around all day, focus on the locusts and what they've eaten. <laughs> Some point, we've got to turn our attention to something else, to something else. And then number three, he comes into this moment and he says, God is going to restore. So we're talking today about this overlooked restoration, God's going to restore. God's going to bring back some things. I'm at an age now where people I know, peers, are having parts of their body replaced. <laughs> Amen? Hadn't seen a friend for a while, called him. Haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, I got a new knee. Good on you. Got a new hip, got a new knee. It's nice we can do that, isn't it? Get things put back together the way they ought to be. So Joel says, here's the great hope of God. As we change, he will bring back, he will restore what the locusts have eaten. It's a pretty good deal. He will restore as we change, as we turn, as we move, as we get our eyes off the locusts and on something else. He will begin to restore what the locusts have eaten. But then he says, not only will he restore, but he's not just going to put back what was. He's going to do a brand new thing. And now he gives us a little piece of poetry that you've heard before. Because it turns out that the New Testament writers love Joel. They love him. Because he writes this very scalable story. They just borrow from him all the time. Because he's an expert in the ancient scripture, they just borrow from him all the time. Why not go to the resource? It's like Wikipedia for the Old Testament. <laughs> Joel 2.28, And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You know this because this is, this, this is what Peter quotes when he spills out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on. And he says, these people are not drunk as you assume. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They have been touched by what the prophet Joel said. I will pour out my spirit. And listen to what it is. Listen to the restoration. Listen to what's coming. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will be connected to God in such a way that they have insight. That they have understanding and wisdom. That they see things. And your old men will dream dreams. 
Because old men don't really dream dreams, do they? I mean, we do. Like we dream about getting a whole night's sleep. <laughs> we have conversations like this. I got four hours in a row last night. Woohoo! <laughs> we do lower our dreams as we get older, don't we? What do you want? Just a good meal. Just want a, something on Netflix to watch. That's all I really want. Just something to eat and something to entertain me. That's all. A comfortable chair. Maybe my back could quit hurting for a while. That'd be good. I'm dreaming big dreams. And Joel says, when the time of restoration comes, your old men will dream dreams again. They'll dream again. They'll think about great things again. They'll think about big things again. They'll think about building again. They'll think about legacy. They'll think about things that are way up here. Whereas when the locusts are eating, we're battening down the hatches. We're locking things down. We're simplifying and minimizing. And just like, uh, 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 uh. But when we change, when we turn, when we break, when we get the focus off the locusts and we get it back over here, then and then what happens to the young? They see visions. The young see visions. We used to see visions, didn't we? I mean, when you and I were young, we saw visions. We were going to do stuff. And some of us have. <laughs> but we believed we were going to do great things, didn't we? Not a one of us at 18 was going, well, I'm not going to amount to much. I don't have a big plan. But something of what the locusts have eaten is a sense of optimism in young people. They just don't feel as optimistic as maybe we did. And I'll guarantee you this. The hump that they are being asked to climb over is bigger than the hump we were asked to climb over. Amen? Adulting was easier a while back. It's harder now. It's a little harder now. Joel says... Part of the restoration, he's not just putting back what's old. But listen, the old folks are going to dream dreams. The young people are going to, your children, your sons and your daughter are going to see and understand things about the ways of God that they haven't seen and understood before because God is eternally in this process of restoration and redemption. And your old folks are going to start dreaming dreams again. They're going to quit trying to land the plane. They're going to quit trying to make it simple. They're going to quit looking for a, a good soft serve. They're going to quit doing all those things that they do. And they're going to start dreaming dreams again about building. Because we know this is an eternal kingdom. We know that. And while we won't serve forever, we're going to serve to our last breath. We're going to dream dreams. And we're going to keep building. And young people are going to have renewed vision for what can be, what can be accomplished, what can be done in the culture, in the world, in the politics, but most of all, in the kingdom of God. So just three takeaways. And the sermon is really done. <laughs> assess in your life what's been eaten up. As you go out into this week, will you assess what you've lost? How are you different today than you were five years ago? What happened inside? What happened to your worldview, to your perspective? Some of us have suffered incalculable loss in these days. What has been eaten away? And then number two, let go. Let go. 
I think when we think about repentance, we think, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I need to confess a bunch of sin, and, and I need to go to, like, religious boot camp, and then God's going to, you know, I'll have to, like, detox, and then I'll have to create all new habits. What if the invitation is, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest under your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What if the invitation is just to let go? I love Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors. Here's one of my favorite quotes from his book, Telling Secrets. Stop trying to protect, to rescue, to judge, to manage the lives around you. That'd be a good enough quote, wouldn't it? (laughs) Just stop right there. Stop trying to protect, to rescue, to judge, to manage the lives around you. Remember that the lives of others are not your business. They are the business of, they are their business. They are God's business. Even your own life is not your business. It also is God's business. Leave it to God. It's an astonishing thought. It can become a life-transforming thought. Unclench the fists of your spirit and take it easy. What deadens us most to God's presence within us, I think, is the inner dialogue that we are continually, continuously engaged in with ourselves, the endless chatter of human thought. I suspect that there is nothing more crucial to true spiritual comfort than being able from time to time to stop that chatter. Assess what's been eaten up and let go. Quit worrying about everything. Quit trying to fix everything. Finally, believe in restoration. Believe in restoration. This story is about the God who wins. It's about the kingdom of God that comes where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the trajectory. That, that's what the story is about. So that Hezekiah in the 46th Psalm says, Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he brings. He causes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spill. He melts the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. When is the last time you looked at life and you looked at the locusts that are eating away and go, you know what? God wins. I can let go of some stuff and I can have this deep sense of optimism because God is going to restore what the locusts have eaten and he's going to do far beyond. He's going to do a new thing and he's going to do it in your life. He's going to do it in my life. And sometimes because we're talking deep time, sometimes we don't see all of it come together in our journey, in our story. And some people say, well, how, how do you have faith? In the scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Not life, not death, not things present, not things to come. 
Not powers, not principalities. That means not all the little spiritual voodoo demon things that float around in the universe, whatever those are. (laughs) No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. When's the last time that was the spirit and attitude with which you woke up in the morning? Which you faced the day? More than anything else we could do for each other is we could fill our hearts and minds and spirits and homes and families and our church with a spirit of deep optimism of what God is going to do. Because I don't know about you, but I can't live just mourning and being afraid of the locusts all the time. And let's be honest, we are woefully preoccupied with the locusts. And we're pretty sure if the locusts don't get resolved, life can't be happy. That's just not true. Somehow, in the middle of this crazy story, God used Babylon and Assyria, and He used all kinds, Persia, all kinds of evil empires. We're going to get into some of those conversations where the prophets lament. (laughs) But lament is saying, here's how bad it is. God help us. We know you will. We know you will. In a moment, we're going to share communion together. I love this image. I love that the ancient church of the New Testament ended every single service by coming to the table and saying, I need grace. I need grace. I need strength, I need grace, I need nourishment. My soul needs stuff. I'm going to come and I'm going to let the grace of God wash over me. That's what this image is. Of course, the early church then had a love feast in which they poured grace out on each other. Wouldn't that be awesome? That you would not only would receive the grace for whatever need you have in your heart and your soul, the mystical things that we can't fix. Just take it in. Come, buy and eat without money, without price. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we would walk out of here and we'd just be filled with grace to pour out on other people. Oh, they ran a stop sign. Sweet people. (laughs) Bless you and your driving ability. Amen. Receiving the grace. You don't need to be a member of this congregation just that you've confessed your sins and received forgiveness. If you've never done that, we're going to pray a prayer of confession together. And we invite you to join us. If you need elements, you can lift a hand. They're at the back. We're still trying to do our very best to keep the pandemic at bay. Turns out passing, you know, things around with everybody's hands. Well, you're dirty people. What can I say? So if you didn't receive them, the ushers will be sure you have some. Just lift your hand and they'll come to you. And we'll participate together around this table. Going to invite the band to come back up. God, we give you thanks. As we gather in this place, as we acknowledge again our need for you. And we acknowledge that the locusts have eaten a lot of stuff. They've literally taken things away 
things we loved, things that were important, things that mattered enormously. They didn't just take stuff. They took our sense of peace and well-being. They've eaten away at our faith. They've caused us to feel unsettled and unhappy. And in these next few hours and days, we're going to name the name of those locusts in our own personal journeys. Just so we can say them out loud. This is what's really eating away. This is it. This is it. And that's it. And this is it. And then we're going to let go. We're going to open our hearts to you and ask, God, what do you want me to change? What do you desire would be different in my journey, in my habit, in my behavior, in my practice? I don't want to just rend my garments. I don't want to just make a show of repentance. I I want to rend my heart. I want to say to you, I want to change. I want to grow. Whatever faith I had a year ago or five is not adequate for today. The world is changing. I, I need deeper roots. Help me. Teach me, show me, lead me, guide me. And I'm going to trust in your restoration. Even as you promised in this moment, as you held that cup before the disciples and said, from now on, as often as you do this, this is my broken body and shed blood that preserves you blameless unto everlasting life. Would you renew the optimism in us? Would you pour out your spirit so that our sons and daughters prophesize and our old folks dream dreams and our young people see visions? Would you renew in us a deep sense of the kingdom and the optimism of the biblical narrative? And that ultimately we know this. Your kingdom will come. Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What started in a garden will end in a city, a redeemed and restored place of life. I pray that you would instill optimism in each one of us. We prepare our hearts for this table by confessing to you our sins. We're so very thankful that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And now, I pray that through these elements, you would apportion grace as each one has need. We dedicate the elements here in this room, those joining online, those that might join later in the week. We dedicate them to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said together, Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink. In remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful.
And now, God, would you hear our response to your word? Would you go with us from this place and teach us by the power of your word? We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, will you stand and really respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.